Now entering Nerdist.com. You made it weird. You made it weird. You made it weird. Oh, yeah. You made it weird. You made it weird. Yes, you did. You made it weird. Oh, yeah. You made it weird with Pete Holmes. Yes, you did. Hey, everybody. Welcome to uh, You Made It Weird. My name is Pete Holmes, and I'm sitting with the uh, wonderful Jim Gaffigan, who actually just did the show downstairs, and we started talking about the wonderful show that is uh, the uh, Meltdown show here at the Nerdist Theater, and then I was like, we should just roll on this, yeah, because yeah. I love talking about this. It's Be- amazing. You reminded me that you were one of the first people, this was years ago, can we turn Jim down a little bit, is that possible? That you were one of the first people I heard that used the term comedy nerd, and this was probably like... I don't know, seven, eight years ago when I first met you and you were like, I don't mean any offense by this, but my fans are comedy nerds. And this is before it was a thing. Yeah. So you're careful to like not be offensive with that term. Well, now it's... Now it's, everybody loves it. Yeah. Now it's totally, you know, you got to keep the nerds, right? Exactly. <laughs> but yeah. that's what we were saying about the show is is that there just isn't... Uh, are we gone completely? Is that good for you? No, that's great. Okay, good. That there isn't that uh, pretension to this crowd. Right. And and I think there's it allows you to be more vulnerable. Yeah. And and more experimental. But I think there's some rooms that you can achieve that if there's a familiarity, but this is the first time doing this room and yeah. there isn't kind of uh you know who's this guy not you know or kind of uh you know they don't care at all. They don't, I don't care. Think. They will they will treat like right now Sarah Silverman is on stage they'll treat Sarah and somebody like me with the exact same respect and yeah. that same sort of like we're on board we're completely on right. board and I'm enough of a cynic to know that it won't last forever it'll eventually get ruined <laughs> <laughs> well you're actually one of those guys that when uh, we we've known each other for a while I was very privileged to be one of the you were one of the first persons uh, that people that I toured with when I was in Chicago and then eventually I moved to New York and I used to see you at like the worst places and yeah. you continue to go up kind of a lot of different places like i yeah. not to say that the improv uh in new york is one of the worst places but you wouldn't exclusively go up at say uh the cool rooms like ucb or fifi or whatever at the time i would then be at like a t- tuesday night at the improv and downstairs notoriously that's all tourists that's yeah. all kind of like you know and i know you hate this how people kind of look down on like indiana where you're from and like right. fly over states or whatever yeah. you want to call them but you would go up and just kind of like drill it out Right. Well, some of it, it's it's uh, not to get too technical, but that was the first. So when I was doing the improv, which later became Broadway comedy, some of it is I was allowed to do a half an hour. Yeah. And I was desperately trying to produce another special. Right. And it's it's interesting because now I think that uh, the only way to develop a special is at whatever their rooms, alternative underground rooms. That's the only way to do it now, but it's just the length of the spot that you can do. And, you know, following that, then I started working at comics a lot. Right. But I don't think, you know, like the status of a room doesn't seem that important to me. No, I don't, I don't think it should be. I I remember, just to give you, uh, give the listeners a little backstory. Like I said, uh, when I was living in Chicago, I opened for you at the Cleveland Improv. Yes. Over, uh, over New Year's Eve. Shackles. That's, <laughs> Shackles that's right. Because me, you, and your, uh, wife, Jeannie, who is yes. wonderful, uh, and, and some fans of yours, I believe, played some gospel music. 
uh, yes. take the shackles off my feet. So to this day, I call you shackles and you call yeah. me shackles. Yes. And uh, which, which I can't believe that's made it this yeah. long. In fact, I have to take a moment and just kind of appreciate how amazing that was because I am a big fan. And at that time, it was very intimidating to meet and work with you. And now here we are kind of having this conversation. That's yeah. wonderful. But then when I moved to New York, I remember you were one of the people that encouraged me to do the alt rooms. Yes. And it was one of those ideas and, and uh, again, for the listeners, the alt rooms being like the clubs, kind of like the two drink minimum, your kind of Carolines or the comedy cellar, that sort of thing. And then the alt rooms being just kind of bars and like where we are tonight, a right. comic book store. One one of the things I think you imparted on me was it's like, what are you going to say when everybody's listening? And I think isn't that kind of like one of the phenomenons of a room like this is people are really giving you their full attention right. from the moment you start talking. Right. I think it's uh, rooms – uh, like this are very important because they're also uh, a purifier of uh, a joke. So, you know, whether it's, you know, you do these crummy, a crummy road gig when you first started and you might start saying, throwing in an F bomb here and there. Right. And the, you know, just along that same line, some, some, you know, poorly constructed joke in front of a smart audience or an audience of your peers will make you realize, like I was just doing this chunk and I, and I was like, you know, that's a little bit clumsy the way I'm saying this, mm -hmm. you know, or it's not as precise as I want to, but in front of say, uh, you know, Gotham on a Tuesday night, it would be fine. It's just, right. it's the easiest, shortest way to communicate the idea, Yeah, but it's a little bit clumsy when I hear it in front of yeah. an audience. That's that's what it really is. When I when I kind of and I love David Tell. When I look at David Tell, I'm like almost the perfect place for him is the cellar on yes. a Tuesday at one in the morning. Yeah, it's yeah. perfect. And then when I see him in a sport jacket in a theater, believe me, it's great. I can still identify yeah. that the material is wonderful. But I'd I'd rather watch him box. You know what I yeah. mean? And then when you when you kind of have just like the pristine listening sensation, it kind of serves a comedian more like you, I would say. Yeah. Well, I yeah. I mean, that's that's very flattering, but it's. Some of it is, you know, the, you know, you say boxing. I think that there are some comedians that are, you know, if they're pushing the envelope and and you know, much looser on stage, it, it is better in like a club at mm -hmm. one thirty in the morning as opposed to it's like I, you know, these, you know, there's an efficiency behind the construction of my jokes where right, I hope to get someone to laugh and. And keep hitting singles, doubles, triples, home run, you know, yeah. and just keep pounding it. That's really funny because you do pepper in those, like, just watching your set tonight, you'll pepper in that, like, huge, and I know we're not going for applause, but it's those jokes that just kind of, like, lead to that involuntary, invol involuntary applause, not yeah. just kind of, like, obligatory where it's like, we understand that something's happened, so we're applied. Yeah. It's almost like you've been building, and then you go to that big, like, I see you hitting that home run after you've been hitting these consistent doubles right. and trebles, and then uh, almost unexpected, but also somewhat expected, here's this, like, crescendo. That's really interesting. Yeah. But, you know, uh, it's funny because I remember when we were working together, you were uh, you were swearing more. Yeah. And that's been a deliberate thing is to kind of, like, tone that down. Well, it? some of it is, I think it's, it's uh, you know, for me, you know, stylistically, um, there's, it, it does, it's not necessary. Yeah. So, you know, if Chris Rock or Louis Black, if they were not cursing, it probably wouldn't be authentic. Right. 
but for me, it's like, I mean, do you really need to say fuck when you're talking about, you know, red? Yeah. You know, what's funny is, uh, the first time I saw you, I was living in Chicago and I saw you, I believe on uh Conan or, or Letterman or something. And you did bread. Yeah. And at that time I was religious. Yeah. So the premium on being clean was high for me. If I was yeah. in a really like yeah. a comedian and you look like a, uh, you look like a guy like me. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. You're, wh- you're white bread. We're both blonde, blue eye, probably like a Christian. Like I'm imposing this belief yeah, yeah, on yeah. you. Like this guy's probably like me. And yeah. then you did bread and you're like, uh, you know, I like bread, but when I go to a restaurant, suddenly I love bread. Right. And yeah. then I bought your album. I bought your album me- immediately. You buy the album. And this wasn't like a disappointing thing. And I'm certainly not confronting you, but I put it in and you say, I fucking love bread. It's yeah. like with the first track. I oh, believe. that's interesting. This is on economics too. Yeah, I this is yeah, this is like an album that you know. I, this is old, old album. Well, it's yeah. like also you know a genie produced it. Yeah, and, and uh, you know we did it on an MP3 before even MP3. Right. You, know, you record actually that album is quite funny because there's a couple tracks I remember we talked about this at, at the Cleveland Improv. You were like, "How's the quality of my album?" Like you were yeah. kind of wondering how it was because there were some that you clearly recorded at like a club. Yeah, and you put the recorder by like some dishwasher. Station. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but the set was so good that you still included it, and it didn't bother me. I was fascinated. I was like soaking it up. Yeah. But I do remember that feeling of kind of being like, "Oh, why do you say fuck?" Like I got, I was young enough well, that that made adrenaline go through my face. It's you know, and there, it's 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 very strange because um, it's you know, it's not for you know puritanical reasons or even you know. I mean, I used to say that like. You know, uh, comedians like George Carlin dealt with censorship so that I didn't have to. Huh. It's like the fact that I don't curse is almost a surprise. You know, people, yeah. you know, like there's some people that are like, it's unbelievable. Yeah. Like, you know, as if a comedian can, can't control cursing. <laughs> right. You know, but there's, I think it's just, you know, some of it was motivated by when I would do Letterman and Conan sets, I would realize that taking out the joke taking out a curse word would reveal that the joke wasn't the writing of the joke wasn't done right so the rhythms of the joke were constructed around you know do you really need to say you know i fucking love bread yeah like first of all it doesn't even fit my personality right right right. do i mean that's not to say that i don't curse in everyday life right but it's it wasn't necessary it's not necessary at the time i remember distinctly thinking i was a huge seinfeld fan i yeah. was a huge regan fan yeah and i was listening to that and i was like but uh mike Birbiglia, yeah. who we're both yeah. friends with uh used to tell me he's one of those guys that will be like pete you should swear less and i don't even swear that much but he was like think fuck but don't say it it's like an old acting yeah. technique or whatever and that's kind of what you do on letterman you're like i love bread there's kind of like a enthusiasm yeah. behind that that's funny well i also think there's there's some strength in uh you know i also got rid of some of the curse words uh you know but some of the dirty jokes that you know i had i got rid of them because then how can you talk about minutiae after you've talked about like yeah fucking a donkey right right, right. You know what i mean you can't be like talking about that and then you're like and i'd love to talk about the seeds <laughs> on a hamburger bun it's you can't do that right, right, right and and so you know headlining in clubs and then going to theaters you realize you know there has to be a beginning middle and end and there also has to be a a, a natural arc to the conversation yeah. and you know, you know, some, again, it's, it's, I, you know, I've said this before, but I think comedians get too much credit for 
either be dealing with taboos or being clean or being political because it's it's just how we write right so in other words you know if you cursed or didn't curse if you took out curse words people would be like i think it's great he doesn't curse it's not like it's an enormous sacrifice right or if you know lewis black talking about politics if you know lewis it's like that's kind of how he is. I right. mean, he's a very sweet guy. I mean, and obviously his onstage persona is much more angry than he right, is. Right, right. But or David Cross, it's like David Cross. You know, that's that's the style of comedy. That's not to say that he couldn't. You know, he's a brilliant writer that he couldn't do these things. But you know, we're congratulating him on doing what he would do. Right. Do it's you know a, what I mean? Yes, absolutely. I, I think we both agree. Even when you were doing jokes that had swears in them. Uh, it's like congratulating Todd Berry on being low energy. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. And I mean that as a compliment. His right. style is very unique. The premium, I think, is just on ingenuity. We just want people to be yeah. who they are. I think so. And I've said this on the show before. It's actually a Lewis Black quote where he says a lot of comedians make the mistake of being funnier off stage than they are on. And that was actually what's weird is because I grew up religious and censored. Yeah. I I did start kind of well, relishing. Of course, you got to rebel. I yeah. did. I rebelled. Yeah. yeah, and I do enjoy rebelling. But what I try to do, and I, I think you're the same way, is that I I don't want any joke that hinges on a swear. If you take the swear out, it still works. But if you want to say the swear just because you feel that way in the moment, that's fine too. Yeah. You had a joke. I I remember. I I doubt you do this joke anymore. Where your girlfriend or whatever says, "What was your favorite part of making love?" And working with you over the years, I would watch this joke change. Yeah. The original version of the joke was, "What was your favorite part of making love?" And you go, "Probably when I blew my load." Right. <laughs> yeah. And you know what? And and I changed that to probably the, la- probably the last five seconds. Yeah, the last five. And seconds. you know what? It's a better joke with the last five seconds. Yeah. And but I would watch it. Dummies would laugh less hard at the last five seconds. Yeah, that's true. I, I would I would I would watch dummies laugh less. Yeah, yeah. No, there's there's, you know. But it's also when you're doing a longer set, you can control. I mean, if there are a bunch of drunk morons, you're not going to win them over, no matter right. how filthy you get. Right. But if you can, you can you develop a relationship over the the course of even the shortest set with an audience. Yeah. So if you're not confident. Yeah. You're feeling off kilter or you're a little buzzed. Yeah. The audience senses that. So if your relationship with the audience is, you know, you you look at someone like Tom Papa, it's like he, you know, you don't have an expectation that he's going to go really dirty. You, you, people lean forward when someone like Tom Papa yeah. is, you, you're like, all right, I, you know, that's, you know, he's very funny, but it's like, all right, there's going to be some twists and turns here that are not going to be the same thing that david tell is gonna do right right yeah david tell is gonna shock you push you back against the wall and then when you get forward he's gonna cut out your knees and i mean that complimentary <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah so it's uh it's pretty uh it's pretty interesting it's, i love these comedy nerd talks I me do. too me yeah. too man we used to do this it used yeah. to blow my mind and, and genie is great at it yeah, too yeah. your wife we would, we would just drive around and talk about this the one show that we did was in uh, Germantown, Wisconsin. The premise of the show is I'm supposed to ask you about weird things. We'll just get yeah. to that. But it, we did a show in Germantown, Wisconsin. It was brutal, wasn't it? It was brutal. 
Yeah. It was me, you, and, uh, and a lovely middle named uh, Randy Chestnut, and uh, which sounds like a fake name. <laughs> These stories become like the movie Big Fish, which is like yeah. it, more and more as the years pass. I'm like, yeah. did that actually happen? And I remember we did the Late Friday show. One of my yeah. favorite Steve Martin quotes I've heard is they said, why did he stop doing stand-up? And he said, Late Friday, That's which funny. isn't that great? Yeah. So we did the Late Friday show, and you and I both ate shit. And it was wonderful because I was just like, I also did bad in front of the same crowd that you did bad for. I took that as a compliment. And you, yeah. and because you said to me, you said, um, there are some crowds you don't want to kill for. You don't, you, it would be bad if you killed in front of this group. I don't think you were judging the people. It was kind of the atmosphere. It was some sort of like kind of karaoke place. People are doing like nickel right. shots yeah. and it's really rowdy. Yeah. And it's like, if you, you were kind of saying to me, if you had destroyed, you would have gotten off and been like, I totally sold out or I pandered or I did something cheap. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, it's, I think people are, which goes back to why I was like, you should do alternative right. rooms is that I believe that people become a product of their environment. Right. They, they totally do. And so therefore, if you're, you know, in these road rooms or these classic kind of road rooms, I actually think that room would probably be better right now. But back right. in that day, yeah, before, um, say, I think Sirius and or whatever, I think people are, and, and YouTube has educated people more on comedy. Yeah. But that was definitely one of those um, environments where they didn't know how to behave. They would right. only appreciate a, an insult comic or someone really right. filthy and so therefore you know if if that's what they're taught then it's you know you're you not going to win them over and you can't even hold it against them it's like someone you know like old racist people they're just going to be racist it's not right. like you're going to convince them that like we're all equal you know what i mean it's, <laughs> right it's a losing battle yeah really, yeah right the books are kind of closed right you yeah know, it's like homophobic people it's like you know they're not gonna f suddenly go you know what you're right right yeah. I, I also remember something in that club where uh, they were giving me a hard time. I was supposed to do, I think, like 10 minutes or something, yeah. which just seems preposterous. Yeah. Do you ever look back on the beginning of your comedy and you're like, that was almost like the hardest thing to do. It's like, oh, you're starting in comedy? How about you open the show? Like you go yeah, up and you have yeah. to do 10 minutes and it's cold and it's horrible. And they have no idea who you are. Which is why I rarely left Manhattan the first six years i did stand up it's yeah. like everyone would go to like long island and new jersey and i would just stay yeah and but still i ate shit you know for six years but there there wasn't rooms like this yeah yeah no it, it's a the very... best room i had was gladys's really you know? yeah totally that's interesting that's all i had that's actually the first that was my first weird thing that i was going to ask you and this is actually interesting because this will either dispel or confirm a myth that i've heard about you which is that you started really slowly that it took you a long time to get good and i know that's true of a lot of people i don't know if this is like folklore because you you blew up and things happened and people are like you know when he started he was bad and, and that makes it a better story well you know it's i i remember hearing the same story about a tell um really i mean i think that you have to understand i was i had no performance background whatsoever yeah. i um uh i think you know it, to be completely honest it's i had enormous amounts of fear like the first couple times i did stand up i was pretty good but i i think i wasted a bunch of years performing in environments where i was not gonna excel or be embraced yeah so 
again, there was, you know, I would, I would be taking trains out to Long Island and do uh, a guest spot on a show at Chuckles, but that probably wasn't even the right environment for me. But, uh, you know, to answer your question, I probably was pretty bad. Somebody told me that you had a meow mix bit that was, that, that for, like, took years to make it work. I don't remember who no, this was. No, I had, I had very, you know, I had, you know, before the alternative thing happened, there was this character boom. You know, Bogosian did, um, all his shows. And then there was this trend of like people doing characters, right? And yeah. so I was not getting spots. So I did characters, um, which eventually led to the inside voice, I think. Right. But, um, well, but you did yeah. Jim the Wood Guy? Or uh, yeah, the, uh, Roscoe the Wood Guy. Roscoe the yeah, Wood Guy. That, was, that came out of that. And, but there was, so there wasn't a place to be kind of eccentric if you're going on at 1.30 at the cellar. Right. So you could be a little bit weird, but you couldn't be really, yeah. really weird. So yeah. I think that, um, you know, yeah, I had something where it was Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. Them yum, 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 yum. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yum, 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 yum. You know, and then I would say, and they wonder why we do drugs. But it was... We're getting a lot of noise from the show. It sounds like Todd Glass. I just like to acknowledge that there. we hear the noise as well. But, yeah, I guess it was a really... Well, people, I, I don't do what. To what extent is that just kind of exaggerated? Like everybody sucks when they start. Well, you know, I think you know, I think there's also something of in New York. There is this perspective of the comedy seller. Is Todd in the booth with us right now? How is that happening? Is he seriously? Is he in the comic book store? Is he talking to us? No. Tell that man. To eat a sandwich and be quiet. What a son of a bitch. Go um, no, but I think that some of it was... Uh, so I wasn't in the uh, the comedy cellar kind of... Um, you know, like that's kind of a scene. Yeah. I was more at Gotham. and uh, But yeah, no, I think I sucked for a long time. But there's also something to be said for uh you know i was headlining and i took a while to get out on the road i was doing commercials and i couldn't get spots you know what i mean so yeah so when i started headlining it uh and you know you know i was i was lucky you know beyond the pale that our special really changed the whole thing yeah so it's when did that happen that was that was uh i think 2006 and that was your first hour yeah I mean, I had done a Comedy Central special. I was, you know, selling out shows at um, the, uh, you know, at like the DC Improv and stuff. Yeah. But there's also something of like, you're never respected where you start. Yeah. Well, that's like Jesus thing, profit in his hometown. And then there's also the generation above me. You know, like if my generation, you know, this is just absolutely comedy nerd speak, was if my generation was me Geraldo, Judah, Bonnie McFarlane, you know, the generation above me were these monsters of comedy. Yeah. Attell, Louis C.K., Kevin Brennan, Mark Marin. I was never going to get a spot. Yeah. So, therefore, um, you know, I never really got that many spots in clubs because the generation before me was so good. And it's not as if the generation before them was horrible. Yeah. 
Do you, does that make yeah, sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's interesting. So it's, and then the generation after me, or our generation, I think the alternative scene started. Yeah. So, and then and then you kind of embrace that. Yeah. That, I, I remember what happened was we did a show at the Broadway Comedy Club, formerly the Improv in New York, yeah. and I was so excited to see you. I had just I had just moved to New York, and we took this train ride. Uh, and I, I must have been going downtown to the Boston or something. And you were, and I was doing the Boston every night. Yeah. Right? Occasionally dropping in on other clubs. And I was barking, which meant I was handing out yeah. flyers. So I needed like. Been there. Yeah, yeah, yeah of yeah, course. Yeah. I, I talked to Dimitri about this yeah. too. And this is actually interesting because I was like, uh, I was like, what am I doing? I felt pretty lost. I was doing badly on the regular at the Boston. I, I had come from Chicago. I thought I was funny. And now I'm eating shit every night. And, and handing out flyers for four or five hours to do it. Yep. And, uh, and then I saw you at the Broadway. You did great. And it was nice to see a familiar face. And we rode the subway together. And in, during that trip, I actually think, uh, I like forfeited my stop to extend the conversation. <laughs> oh, yeah. And you were probably getting off at Second Avenue. We were on the F. And I was like, yeah, this is, this is my stop too. Just to like continue yeah. getting knowledge yeah. from you. And you were like, you're going to think I'm crazy. But you have to do these alternative rooms. And you were like, do you want to be one of these guys that sees Jews, like Orthodox Jews in the audience and go, are you from Brooklyn? And get a huge response. Do you want to be that guy and just kind of like spar with them and, and do like really clubby stuff? Or do you want to be Dimitri, who is somebody that I really respected and, and had that kind of like play theaters goal? Yeah, yeah. So you're like, which, which of those do you want to do? And you need to kind of like decide. And that forced me to kind of shift my focus. And yeah. that's when I started doing more Rafifi and, and that sort of stuff. And you're right. There were nights that I was like, this alternative stuff is fucking crazy. Well, you know, you also got to eat shit in any environment. You go yeah. To, right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I have kids and I, you know, my daughter goes into these classes where she doesn't know anyone. I'm like, believe me, you better get used to it. Yeah. This is what life is. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, it's not fun. Yeah. But you got to get some, you got to get some calluses. Good practice you know? to get up in there. That's hilarious. Yeah. Did you but, just, yeah, I mean, no, it's like I wasted so much time at the original improv in New York. And, you know, got, you know, it's like it was well intended, but there was this rich history of hanging out at the improv. Yeah. On 44th Street. And I did it. Yeah. And it, then it closed down and then it went to 34th Street and I hung out there and I did spots. And it, it was, in hindsight, it was a mistake. Really? You know what I mean? Yeah. But. Well, you know, I, it's like I wouldn't change my path because I like where I am now. Right. You know what I mean? But you, I, I, I think something else we talked about was you kind of have to look at who's who's doing it. I, I would look yeah. at and I'm not shitting on the seller in any yeah. way. Yeah. But when I look at a, a typical lineup, apart from your Berbiglias and your Mulaney's and some of these guys that drop in and stuff, I'm kind of like, I don't really want to be this, this or this. Like, I, yeah. I, I don't want to do the cellar, hang out, and try and fuck ladies. That's not what I'm right. about. Right. I'd rather do a comic book store and then, I don't know, go home and watch I Am Legend. I don't know, right. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. No, no, it's, it's, it's very strange. I, I do believe you're a product of your environment. And some of it is, I think that, you know, you'd agree the comedy cellar is an amazing place. Yeah. It's an absolute amazing place. I personally stopped working there Ten years ago, I, yeah, I heard he had was beef with them. I'm not no, cool enough but to use that term. It was mostly because it was my, um, you know, I would be so, you know, and I remember talking to Todd Barry ten years ago about this, and he had done Letterman, and he wasn't getting spots, 
mm-hmm. and back when Letterman was this huge thing, like he got it before a bunch of other people, and um, there there was just this reality of being low energy, mm-hmm. being you know clean, mm-hmm. you know talking about the mundane made them not want to give me spots and you know so i would put in you know say you put in on a wednesday and you find out on sunday and i would get like one spot and it would it would destroy me yeah it would depress me so i didn't want to give my power away to that yeah and oh man and gotham was starting and you know i was just like i don't need to do that i mean it's closer to my house but yeah and and so it's it's one of those things where, you know, you got to control what's going to mess you up, too. Yeah. Right? So, yeah. like, if you keep going into an environment and not treat it well, yeah. you know, you can be resilient and stuff like that. But also, you have to sit there and go, I'm wasting my time. Yeah. You know, it's so funny that you say that. The, the, the performer's ego is really interesting to me because I think one of the things that we want is certainly affirmation and response and people to listen yeah. to us. I think those are pretty standard pillars of our, our of our identities but we also want access like the idea of being accepted by a club and having access like it right. it, it I, i'm not ashamed to say it kind of turns me on for lack of a better term to walk into certain places like the improv on melrose or whatever yeah. it is or this club and just be recognized and not be bothered and come in and be like i'm a guy who works here that that's like part of the enjoyment. It's like that yeah. boys club sort of thing. Yeah, you're 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 with peers. You're with peers, and, and yes. you're and you're recognized and understood. I I don't need people asking me for my autograph, but it's nice that the door guys like. But yeah, you'd What's much up, rather Paige? you'd much rather be respected by your peers than yes. a bunch of strangers. Exactly. That's just you know when I run into you or Sarah Silverman or, or Tosh or whatever, I I that means the world to me that they're like. What's up, Pete? And then right. and then we all go into the the room together and watch the show right. and talk shit or whatever we want right. to do. So access is a big deal. Yeah, I was going to the uh, Improv on Melrose one night with Moshe, who actually just did the show, and uh, he was running late. And I gave him this big pep talk, and I was like, "Are you kidding me? This is my house." You know, I'm talking about the club. I'm like, yeah. "This is my fucking house." They should like, if I go long, I get off stage and I go, "You're welcome." Like, I'm just having this grotesque yeah. ego moment. Yeah. Like, I don't know what got into me, like why it was like just showing so much. But I was like, "You can't be worried about being late. They should be glad that you're there." And I'm not talking down to the improv at all. You're joking. It was yeah. this general yeah, yeah. kind of like I'm psyching him up. Yeah. Let's let's exaggerate our egos and and just be yeah. excited to make him not worried about being late. It's like, right. we're fucking kings. This is my living room. You know what I mean? Yeah. That yeah. crowd is in my living room right now. I'm not normally like that. We go in. Moshe goes on stage. I walk in, and there was a new door guy there, and he taps yeah. me, and he goes, who are you? And I go, instantly, instantly, all of that energy drained from me and just left my body. Oh, yeah. And I was like, I, I'm, I'm Pete. I, I, I am a comic. I work here. Yeah, yeah, and then he yeah. goes, well, next time let me know before you just walk in like that. Yeah. And I was like, yes, yes, sir. I'm so sorry. And I was so flushed with adrenaline and embarrassment that I left. So I went from the extreme of like, this is my fucking house to being like, I, you just cut off my dick and I'm going to go home now and like feel bad about myself. That I mean that that's yeah. the the two extremes. I mean the the sides of the performer, the huge ego, and also just kind of like a sensitive, soft underbelly. Right, right, yeah. No, well, I mean, I'm just I, I would just I wish that I I would probably just be like, that's where like the anger side of me. I'd be like, who the fuck are you? <laughs> Believe you me, work here one day, you don't yeah. know who a fucking comedian is. Yeah, 
you know, why don't you do some fucking research? And then I would, you know, get a call like, look, you can't yell at this. This is the owner's son. You know what I mean? <laughs> you know what I mean? But that's healthy. I don't, I, I've often said well, that I only have. Me, my temper's not healthy. That's for you sure. Have a, do you have a big temper? Well, I mean, I think that, you know, I mean, I definitely have anger, you know what I mean? But You were in a movie where you played a guy. What movie was that? Um, I don't know. I'm so sorry. That was such a vague and obnoxious question. But you played a, a guy who goes into therapy and the guy says the first thing he says to you is he's like, you're going to hit me with that chair, aren't you? Right. Yeah. Do yeah. you remember what I'm talking about now? Yeah, that was um, um, Great New Wonderful. Great New Wonderful. That's right. A great you movie. are the movie consumer. You and Doug Benson, you can, you see every no, movie. No, I'm Doug. terrible at that game. Really? I, I saw that. Uh, I, 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 did, I did see that movie and I enjoyed it quite a bit. Do you relate to that character? Because that kind of felt like you. No. Well, I mean, it's weird. You know, it's like, you know, I mean, I think like, uh, you know, there's nothing normal about what we do. I mean, I'm not going to pretend that I'm this well-adjusted guy who goes on stage and makes strangers laugh. Yeah. Yeah. You know I mean, there's nothing normal about that. But um, yeah, I mean, I definitely, you know, uh, have uh, anger, you know, and I definitely have, you know, I mean, I'm. That's weird because you, you seem very Midwestern and, and gentle. Well. <laughs> but you know yeah. who else? I heard the story about Bill Murray when he was in Chicago. So Midwest. I know. Where's Bill Murray from? Canada? He seems Canadian. No, he's from Chicago. Oh, he's from Chicago. Yeah. So he's Midwestern as well. Yes. And he seems kind of like one of those guys that just would be like slow and Midwestern. And I heard the yeah. story that he would like jump into the crowd if he was heckled and like broke some guy's arm and all this sort of stuff. So like, is that hiding beneath the Jim Gaffigan that I know? <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, well, there's definitely, um, you know, there's, you know, I was talking to, uh, I did a spot at Gotham a couple weeks ago, and uh, I was talking to Wally Collins. I'm sure you know who Wally is. Yeah. He goes, how are they? I go, well, there was a guy up front that, you know, who was kind of, you know, doing well with the audience, and he was just kind of in the front, just kind of... An audience a, guy. Yeah. Being a sourpuss. <laughs> and he goes, he goes, oh, that guy. Because I actually told him so that he would know. Yeah. I say, they're very good. Don't be distracted by this guy. Yeah. And he goes, yeah. He goes, you know, I go, you know, if I was burned out, it would really bother me, but I'm kind of off three days off. So I was like, hey, that's interesting. This guy's a dick. <laughs> but, <laughs> but but if it's second show Saturday after eight shows, you're like, what the fuck's your problem? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Whereas that's where I think all comedians are a little crazy. Maybe you're not. I mean, I almost feel like if you're too well adjusted as a comedian, you got some deep problems. No, I, I'm often disturbed. That stuff comes out in me when I'm on stage. I did a, yeah. I did a spot on Monday where again, it's for me, it's ego. It's yeah. not necessary. It's a little bit of anger. Yeah. I said to the crowd, a gracious, Wonderful crowd who I had yeah. nothing but good feelings for. I was just doing really well. And yeah. I was riffing. It was yeah. all just kind of like what yeah, I was thinking. Yeah. And I'm riffing and I'm killing. And pe not to be weird, but the other people on the show up until that point was pretty bad. And I was doing really well. And I started just being like, I don't know about you guys, but if I was in the crowd, this is exactly what I'm looking for. Almost like a Jesselmick level of like yeah. braggery and just being like, I don't know what you guys are doing with your stupid lives, but this is like, I, I actually said that, yeah. which is a weird thing to say. And then of course I had to be like, I don't think your lives are stupid. But then I was like, maybe they are. I don't know. Just yeah. like absurd. What is that? That's a, that's a certain level of dysfunction that I, that maybe that you're talking about. Just kind of like what's lying underneath. I can't be that well adjusted. I get up in front of strangers and well, try I to just, make them laugh. I don't think that there's anything normal. I don't think there's anything normal about 
um, being an actor. I think actors are much crazier than comedians. Yeah, no, I'd agree with that. Uh, you know, maybe 500 million times crazier. Yeah, word pretenders. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> like a derogatory term. You mean the word pretenders? I'm writing on a show and this very funny guy, Will Calhoun, who used to be an actor and is now a writer, calls them word pretenders. He's like, yeah. well, the word pretender changed the line. It's such, a, it's such a deflating thing to call an actor. Well, I just, you know, I think there's also, I think comedians are, are we're also spoiled by the immediacy of our yes. creative fulfillment. Yep. So a word pretender... <laughs> you know, might gain a, a resiliency for being rejected. Whereas a comedian, you're like, ah, that, you know, you, 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 you do a set. You're like, oh, that joke didn't work. Should I get rid of it? All right, I'll do yeah. another one. You know, yeah. even if you do only three sets a week, you still get that, that buzz. Right. Yep. And I don't understand actors. I, I don't understand, you know, when you shoot something and, um, I mean, I love, I really love acting, yeah. but the pursuit of it, I think, is uh, absurd. Uh, I don't I don't understand it. Being in Los Angeles, too, and I, I'm writing on a show currently, watching the plight of, like, the three-arc character, yeah. I'm like, what do you, first of all, I know you're not making that much money. You're working your balls off. You're sweating your balls off. You're trying to get this pot. You were out, like, 30 other people were out for it. You had to, like, do three callbacks, and now you get to do, like five lines per three episode yeah. or whatever and it's just like and then what and then you go back to like waiting and sweating it out it's one of those things like um skateboarders they're either fantastic and amazing or they can't do it at all well, and, yeah, and it's, it's like just, actors are either just like rich and famous or struggling it's just you know it's i mean i actually you know it's gonna sound like i'm backtracking i mean i have a lot of respect for it sure and a lot of um and i admire their resiliency but, um, you know, the, you know, it's, I have so many friends that, you know, they, you know, they build the sets, they do the play, they, you know, they, you know, they're doing everything. Mm -hmm. And then in the end, you know, I mean, they're, believe me, I did this Broadway play. I get the buzz of acting. Yeah. But it's the process of getting the work yeah. that I see, I, I feel is insane. Yeah. And I also think I'm. Uh, you know, I might be ruined by being a comedian for so long because I, you know, you I want go up juice. there. You know, Jeannie and I write everything together and she might say a note or something, but I don't have to worry about, you know, um, yeah, no, um, why don't you, instead of that, do you know the, do you know how strawberry ice cream doesn't taste like strawberry, but it's still good? <laughs> and you're like what what do you want me to do do you know what i mean well you're addicted to the the you juice have, of the self-control you have you have no control it's like the takes they use yeah um it's That's, oh you're right it's just you go into an audition you spend three you know i do this i do this i you know i'll get an audition i'll love the script i like the character i'll go in and i'll walk in and it's just very obvious that I don't look the part, uh, you know, and they'll just be like, thank you. Yeah. That's very good. Or I'm, you know, they can get someone famous. Right. Or, um, you know, I've lost roles in movies to Cedric the Entertainer like three times. <laughs> really? Some, you know, like That couldn't comedy. be more different. Right. But they, you know, they realize that they, you know, it's like, oh my gosh, this whole movie is all white people. Yeah. You know, that's not what life is like. Right. So, to Cedric the Entertainer? 
Cedric the Entertainer is a very funny, no, no, I'm successful not saying, guy. I'm not and saying so they're like, not. so they're like, all right. But that's a bizarre call to get. Have you ever had the unique experience of going out for a Jim Gaffigan type and not getting? Oh it? yeah, definitely. It, the, the, I think that's a kiss of death. Really? I mean, just for commercials, that's yeah. the only thing I've had. But yeah, they're like, hmm, yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, totally. <laughs> you got to be offer only. Yeah, <laughs> that's what I would think. That's super, super funny. Well, you do do a lot of acting. I actually, I'm very interested in bringing this maybe back to the comedy nerddom. The other weird thing that I wanted to talk to you about was your process, because almost in like a there's a couple things, knowing you and knowing uh, Jeannie a little bit, is that you almost write one-liners and then you clump them together. You used yes. that term earlier. Yeah. Clumping. No, it, chunking. 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 Oh, you call it chunking. Yes. I've changed it to clumping <laughs> okay. over the years in my own brain. Yes. But that, can you talk a little bit about that process? Because you're not a one-liner guy. No, I'm definitely not a one-liner. Well, some of it is, I think, an obsessive – it serves an obsessive quality of mine, but uh, – I mean, I remember, you know, uh, sitting at some bar in Long Island and Geraldo kind of explaining to me that people do chunks. And I'm like, really? They do chunks of jokes? <laughs> and then realizing that tying jokes together in one kind of common theme is an easier idea. So yeah. I think I started doing it with uh, bottled water and... And in one bottle? Yeah. No, it's just it's just, you know, the whole idea of the the sum of the parts is is greater than them separated. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. So it makes sense. And sometimes that'll allow um you know, a, a weaker joke to be stronger or a stronger joke. Sometimes it can weaken a joke. So then I might change the order. Yeah. And, you know, whether it's like, you know, uh, the bacon chunks or something, the bacon chunk, you know, it's and then some jokes don't make it. Right. You know, so it's like you kind of write 10 jokes for that six will make it in right. a two minute chunk. That's interesting because you are one of those people that uh, in, in being able to watch you work over the years, I definitely get the sense that I'm like. Oh, Jim Jim wrote every joke he could think about about room service or Jim wrote every yeah. joke that he could think about about writing a, or, or a pool yeah. or or the ocean or uh, what's that joke? One, I'm going to party once I get set up like McDonald's ketchup yeah. and french fries and all that sort yeah. of stuff. And like you get the sense that I'm like, oh, no, this guy where you look at somebody like uh, Louie and I know uh, Bill Burr and all these guys say that they like to write from the stage a lot. Yeah. I'm getting the sense that you're not really writing from the stage. <laughs> Well, some of it, it's, it's, it's ever evolving, you know, so some of it is writing on stage, say, uh, particularly the wording of a joke, Yeah, you know, um, but, uh, 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 an idea, you know, like I'm working on photographs or pictures and I, and some of that is on the stage and some of it is off the stage, but it's, you know, I would say it is more preparation, you know, it's a point of view on something. Yeah. But, I mean, I definitely have fun um, just, you know, kind of riffing on a topic. But, you know, I think, you know, it, I don't riff enough, you know. Um, I that's would a, like to more. That's something that uh, Dimitri, who's also very written, yeah. said to me once that he wishes that he has, he could just do an hour of just riffing, which yeah. is like the last person you expect. You're also yeah. – I, I know that you're capable of it. I've seen you do it many, many times. But it's like you don't really think of you as a – you're you're like a let's get started. Like the right. first line that you say yeah. is going to be a joke. Well, some of it is I you know I would rather I think it, you know it's 
it's probably just a rationalization for how I ended up doing it, but I think it's a, do I sound really fucking pompous? Maybe. No, I love it. But it's, it's, <laughs> you get someone, you know, you, 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 you keep slapping them instead yeah. of like the knockout blow, you slap, slap, slap. And then when someone's on their heels, you get them with another joke and you get them, it's efficiency. And maybe that's, you yeah. know, when I used to write commercials, you just the shortest way to get to something. Yeah. You know, it's like the more times you can punch someone in two minutes, the more likely you're going to knock them out. Yeah. That's actually really funny. When we were in Cleveland, you did a show and it was, I think it was like the, maybe one of those uh, horrible, like third show Saturdays. So we're starting the show at midnight and it started late. And I I remember I went up and I just, I did terribly and I forget who was middling. And then I remember who was middling. Oh, wait, he was, he was like, I like him strange. Yeah. Rick Tempesta. Oh my God. You're good at names. Yeah. Rick Tempesta. And he killed. He always, he did kill. I remember, and I'm not putting him down. He had a joke where it was like, he was like, uh, I believe you're standing next to me. I don't want to put a story that's not true out there. But he was like, have you ever been down to Milwaukee? Everybody's fat, thick, full beards, cigarettes. And you whispered to me and you go, and that's just the women. And then he went, and that's just the women. <laughs> and like I was like, oh, my God. It was like a really weird moment. But you also were very complimentary of him. And you were like, this guy's not bad. It was just like a different path product of the environment sort of right. stuff exactly but you had to follow like this late fucking smoking show yeah. like such an absurd idea to a couple guys yeah. coming in from new york and chicago where you can't smoke everybody's smoking everybody's drunk it's really really rowdy and i was like what is jim gonna do he's gonna go up and talk about bread he's yeah. gonna do Ran- randall the wood guy he's gonna do all roscoe. the Ro- sorry roscoe the wood guy it's like what the fuck is he gonna do and i couldn't have been more interested and you went up and you did great I don't know if you remember that show. You did great, and they were the worst. And you made it happen, and you got off stage, and uh, in the appropriate way, like we all are, you were high from the stage, and I was like, great job, man. And you went, it's all pacing. That's what you said to me. With really this kind of glow. Like a, I sound with, like a jerk. You were a real jerk. <laughs> no, no, that's not at all. That was a valuable piece of information that I've seen since then and used since then where it's like these people aren't going to give me huge applause they're not going to give me huge response but i'm going to slap them like you're saying as many times as i can i think some of it is you know i'm a slow talking midwesterner and so um i i definitely want to get to you know i uh, you know that's why i think i did the inside voice because i would talk slowly and i didn't want to give them a chance to say anything yeah you know what I mean? I didn't, you know, I'll, you know, it's like for the person that wants to comment at Dangerfields, I'll say it for you. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And self heckling. Yeah. And so <laughs> it's just getting it out of the way. And it, you know, that also a lot, you know, I don't do it as much as I used to, but no, I noticed that, that gives actually. you per- permission. And they edit it out of your, uh, your presents, I remember. Well, you know, I didn't do it on the presents. You didn't? I didn't. And oh, I, I thought remember. they took it out. No, I I had I was totally doing it, and I was like, but it was, it was a little bit like fifty fifty when it would work, and I was terrified, and that was, you know, a big you know my big shot to do a Comedy Central present. Yeah, yeah. You know? Well, for for those of you that thin, yeah, you were you were you look so you look really really young. Is that an annoying thing to say? But you do look really young. How old were you when you did that? I was (laughs) ten. You were a little baby boy. No, I was. uh, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe I was thirty. Thirty. 
I mean, it was a long time ago. Yeah, and, and I wanted to talk about Letterman. You did Letterman, and Letterman, I mean, you, you couldn't be more up Letterman's alley. Yeah. And is it one of those Ray Romano stories where you, the first time you did Letterman, yeah. he really loved you? Is that the case? Yeah, I mean, I think there was also, um, you know, I, I was also lucky because, you know, or indirectly unlucky that I had been auditioning for Letterman for six years. Yeah, for Brill? No, Eddie wasn't there. And, um, and there was, you know, there was so many, um, people that had gone, like everyone in my generation, the generation after mine had <laughs> gone through and done Letterman or Conan. And then they had this, uh, you know, comedy debut night. Mm-hmm. And so I did that and, um, it, it had to be somebody who had never done a television spot. So I had the advantage of. Interesting. There were a lot of people that had never done. I mean, now it's, but I think it, no one had done like they a wanted late to night break show. you. They wanted to break all of us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was lucky because some of the people weren't ready, or some of them, you know, had bad sets. So. Well, that's that's kind of like so one of those. So by comparison, I I looked very good. It's like an outliers thing. Did you read outliers? Yeah, any chance? Yeah, it's just kind yeah. of like the the formula of success is here. You were probably like a lot of show business things. I think you would attest. Happened three years after you think you were ready for it. Yeah, like the whole 10,000 hours. Exactly. Thing. In yeah. fact, I'm just remembering, this is bizarre, because you and I, I, when I opened for you for the first time, I was doing comedy like two years, maybe a year and a half. Yeah. And I was like, I, I really think I'm ready for uh, Letterman. I really want to do yeah. Letterman. Yeah. And, uh, and we're laughing now, and I'm laughing now. But at the time, you very graciously, your response was very diplomatic. You said, well, I think I thought I was ready for Letterman when I had been doing it about a couple of years. I still have this email somewhere. Yeah, no. So you didn't shoot me down. You're just like, I totally get it. You, you think you're of great. Of course. Yeah. And of course. I, it's, it's like the king of comedy. I was like, I, I can do five minutes of, of stand-up. And maybe I could have, but I, I don't know. It, it's absolutely much better to wait. And this is what you're saying happened to you. Here you are. You were probably ready for maybe five years. You're saying you're auditioning that Well, long. I don't know if I was, but I mean, you know, that's also – I think that I had, I was incredibly terrified for the first ten years I did stand-up. Really? Terrified. I, I did not come from a performance background. I didn't even have a bar mitzvah where I stood on stage and people laughed. <laughs> there was no singing. I, you know, I was, you know, always terrified. Yeah. You know, even when I had like an office job, you know, if I had to speak in front of people, I was terrified. Yeah. So I didn't feel comfortable until, you know. Ten was, years in? I don't know. Probably not ten. Maybe like six. But. Yeah. I don't think I knew what I wanted to do until I had been doing a 10. I think I was a little all over the place, you know, trying to be like a tell or yeah. trying to be like, you know, Mark Marin. You know, it's, you know, you know, to find your voice, they say. Well, I was just going to say how you know? bizarre because you don't you don't uh, smell like either of those people. Yes. You know what I mean? It's, yeah. it's, it's really interesting. I watch old tape of myself and I'm kind of like, oh, that's my Seinfeld year. And, and, and then I went through many Brian Regan years. Yeah. I still can't watch Brian Regan. Otherwise, I'll just rip him off. Like right. that, that voice is just so addictive. In fact, when I would open for you, it was hard not to do the. Oh yeah, that would happen. Voice. That would happen to me all the time. People opening voice. for you? Yeah, by the end of the weekend, the MC ah! and the man would be commenting, <laughs> and I'd be like, mm. <laughs> "It's hard if yeah. you find an anchor, a device, a shortcut that applies to everything." I'd like to think for me. It's it's this kind of like blind positivity. I'm kind of like, if you don't laugh at that, it makes me sad for you. What's going wrong in your life? Yeah. Did you not picture it? Kind of like keeping them accountable. That's kind of my thing. And then I'll see other people 
also doing that that follow me. And, but then I'm also aware that I'm ripping off potentially the guy that went before me. You know what I mean? We're just kind of like absorbing these little things. And, and as we mature as performers, we have to be more and more aware of that. I think that's why it's very good to showcase environment so that people don't do that. Yeah. You don't do the uh, Sarah Palin jokes or, 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 or the horrible uh, Steve Jobs jokes that we <laughs> because yeah. you know that you know the late night shows are going to do them. And yeah, they're, yeah. they're probably going to do them better because they have an entire writing staff yeah. to do that. And uh, <laughs> it's so funny. But anyway, I got to get out of here. You do? Yeah. I, 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 we're running out of time. Can I ask you about one more thing? Sure. Uh, I normally cover religion. That's too big to bring up now. Not really. I'd be happy to talk about religion. Yeah, I think that's everything uh, ex- except religion. Is yes. is that uh, I I I understand that your family was Catholic. Yeah. This is kind of the part of the you made it weird idea. Yeah. Because I'm fascinated with two things yes. predominantly that I like to ask everybody about. One, who is the right partner for a comedian? These weird yeah. and I'm joking sociopaths. And and you have a wonderful wife, yeah. uh, Jeannie. Uh, in fact, that's its own topic. She she was a stand up. She was she did it all. I mean, she has a graduate. She did improv, King Baby, directing. Yeah, she she literally did it all. And and now she works with you. Yes, we write everything together. And dare I say, I mean, like I've had moments where uh, you do my show at Housing Works in yeah. New York or whatever, and Jeannie would be there, and she just seemed like I I believe that she was genuinely happy to be there. Yes. enjoying being there, yes. enjoying watching you, enjoying the thrill that I know working for a multicam show, watching a joke that you wrote, seeing if it worked. Yes. That's a true thrill. Yes. It's not even that much of a water down from doing it yourself. It's a thrill. Yeah. Yeah. Watching her be thrilled, watching her yes. laughing, watching her make notes, and then watching you as a couple, not even as a couple, just as two comedians talk afterwards that happen yeah. to be a couple, yeah. and kind of watching that and being like, oh, shit, Jim figured it out. No, well, it's a lot of <laughs> luck. It's it's a lot of luck. You know, it's, um, I mean, I don't, I don't know how to explain the situation. I think it's a lot of luck. Yeah. And, you know, you know, to pull in religion, I think it's, it's like this incredible blessing yeah. that I've been given. Well, I, I, to blend that even further with religion, Jeannie yeah. is Catholic. You were She's, raised Catholic. Are you Catholic? I'm, I'm Catholic. You know, I would say that. Are you culturally I'm, Catholic or spiritually Catholic? I would say that I am spiritually Catholic. Oh, really? Yes, I'm going to be the like... first person on this show ever to admit that. They... No, no, no. As as the host, I'm constantly trying to push forward this idea that we should believe in something calling, anointing, yes. and some sort of creator, higher purpose. Yeah. And I do. You're right. I run into countless atheists. Of course. You know. I mean, it's. You know, it's not to say that, you know, it's not, uh, you know, there's not an asserted effort to uh, that's so have faith. Yeah. You know, it's much easier. Well, that's a, that's a I bit... mean, you know, we, we exist in a cynical uh, art form, right? Yeah. Yeah. Of course. Well, we're so, dissecting things and looking for yeah. holes and everything. Yeah. And, you know, but, um, you know, I personally feel that there has been too much grace and mercy bestowed on me. To not be a Republican. No, it's like, you know, this is why I don't like to talk about religion. But, you know, I don't really, you know, I don't care. It's so your experience seems to indicate to your rational brain that, that there is a provider, that there's some sort of purpose, that there's some sort of calling that motivates you, that you cultivate. That's what's interesting yes. to me. Because it yes. is a biblical principle. The apostles ask Jesus, I do this all the time, it's yes. not just your episode. The apostles ask Jesus, increase our faith. 
right. meaning that faith is something you can ask for, it's something that you can encourage, and something that you can almost manufacture. And it seems to me that your, your life is leading you towards manufacturing and encouraging the growth of faith in your life. God, it just yeah. turned into AM radio. No, I mean, it's, it's you know, it's, of course you bring this up the two minutes uh, as the podcast is going to end. Yeah, do, if be, you have to go, I feel I'd terrible. I'd be happy we'll to have talk you back. to you about it in more in depth. I think it's, you know, faith is kind of like healthy eating. It's much easier to not eat healthy, yeah. you know? And so am I perfect about it? Not at all. Am I... Um, but I also feel like, you know, uh, you know, for me personally, it's, it, it makes perfect sense. You know, there's just been too many things. It's like, there's too much mercy that has been given to me. That's interesting. You know, so where it's just like, it's just, it escapes all logic. Right. So, but and there's, too, you know, I mean, I came from a town of 200 people. That's not to say that, but I, it's just like, you know, I don't know. It's hard to describe. And I do, you know, I do want to talk about this, but it's like we have to do it another time. You know, we got to go a commercial. <laughs> no, but some of it is. It's you can't bring this up when I'm getting calls from my ride that's taking me. Up. <laughs> well, well, we'll have to have you back and only talk. But about you always religion. talk about yourself as like a former. Yeah, no, that's true. Well, because I, I just now I'm kind of like I don't have it figured out. I'm, well, I don't I'm think actively we're supposed try- to figure it out. I think but there's, there's no- an arrogance. There's this arrogance of like. You know, it's like how many generations do we have to look at through history that thought, well, like, well, we've got this figured it out. Yeah, we, we use leaching. You right. Know, it's like we got this figured it out. Obviously, the world is flat. Right. It's like we're we're not going to sit there and realize that the arrogance of the human being has. You know, we don't have it all figured. But out. But this seems like to me progressive Catholicism in the sense that you're like you feel this presence guiding your life and the lives of others and people that you care about or know. And you're attributing that to a uh, to the Catholic Jesus. That's a weird thing to say. Yes, but I you would wouldn't say. be surprised if you found out if you died and you were like, "It's not uh, Catholic Jesus, it's other guy, Badoo Badoo," and you're just like, "Oh, I knew there was something. It didn't have to be this." Um, yeah, you know, I don't. I also don't think that uh, you know. I think that you know, Gandhi is in some form of heaven. I don't think yeah. that you know. Um, I, I don't think that, uh, I just think that like, you know, if we think we're in control of things, yeah, that's when we start acting like dicks. Yeah. And so when I'm like humble, when whatever gets me to humility, yeah, I'm a nicer guy. I'm happier. Yeah. And it's just an easier road. And so it's, and you know, for me, that is, you know, it's, it's so funny because I just, you know, it's a whole other topic because I don't think that, I think there is a, a, a real bigotry that exists in our country mm. towards people of faith. And understandably, there's a lot of whack jobs, but, you know, it's like, it's okay for black people to be religious. It's okay for an, a recovering alcoholic or heroin addict to believe in a higher power. But everyone else that does is somehow a moron. Yeah. And by the way, I am a moron. <laughs> <laughs> But that's an idea that's reinforced through media and movies and television. Yeah, but I don't even want to blame it on the media. It's just I just think it's it's just kind of like it's it's culturally I just think that it's just, you know, we want to be, you know, you see it in Europe too. You know, it's like the reason, you know, I was talking to, you know, I won't even say his name. It's a British guy and he was like the big problem with Tony Blair that that people had outside of the Iraq war was that he believed in God. 
Really? And they're like, this guy has to be stupid because, you know, it's, it's, and then he ended up being a Catholic and, you know, to, to the English. And yeah. they're like, but no. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? And so, I mean, I don't know this. You know, this is me. This is a little bit me talking on my ass, but it's like, it, I just want to go back to the days where it's, it doesn't matter what someone believes in. It doesn't matter. I don't care who you sleep with. I don't care what you believe in. I don't care what you do. You know what I mean? For a living. It, you know, it's like, it's all this kind of like cultural snobbery that like, you know, yeah, I don't think that like people should be stuffing religion down other people's throats, but you know, it's like, you know, I don't think that, you know, you know, Scarlett Johansson's haircut should be stuffed down my throat when right. I try and check, you know, the news on the internet. Right. And that's why I'm running for senator. Right? <laughs> no, but you know what I mean? Well, it's interesting. It, it, this actually came up in when I talked with Moshe. We were talking a lot about religion. And, and Jesus said that the whole thing boils down to love God and love your neighbor. Is that something that resonates with you at all? Yeah. Because I mean, you well, don't yeah. seem to be too concerned about – are you concerned with confession or baptizing your kids or, yes, or having yes. them confirmed? Yes, definitely. But for the purpose of – is that cultural or are you like they won't go to heaven if I don't do this? But, you know, I think people get caught up in these things about, like, you know, uh, so-and-so said that I'm not going to have it. It's like that, you know, it's like, first of all, if you look at what Jesus said, he was never like, and then go out and tell people they're going to hell. It's, <laughs> do you know what I mean? It's <laughs> like, that's not what the guy yeah. said. He, he, I, I, I like to point out that Jesus was never specifically like, don't go and have sex with people. Like, he, he never said that. Yeah. Yet we have a Bible called the True Love Waits Bible. Yeah. Meaning, like, don't have sex. The Bible, but but the whole thing is, is like, I think there is a, you know, uh, there is a natural corruption that uh, that happens to all of us, right? I mean, it's like you see, you know, I've got these young children; they're very sweet, and life shits on them, yeah, constantly. And so then, you know, it's like, and you look at like inner city kids; it's like, why is why do they have a scowl on their face when they're five years old, right? Do you know what I mean? It's because they've just been shit on. And so, therefore, you know, it's like there is this tendency towards corruption. Yeah. I mean, I know that for me, it's like we get spoiled. We have these ideals that we're like, all right, well, I'm going to be like this. And then we end up being a hypocrite. You know what I mean? It's like everyone ends up being a hypocrite. Yeah. That's interesting. You know, people are like, I'm an atheist. It's like, oh, my girlfriend's pregnant? Oh, please, God. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, come on. It's like. No atheist. But it's none of my business. Yeah. It really is, you know. And that's why, you know, it's like, it's none of my business. It's, you know, it's, you know, I don't know. That's why I rarely talk about it. No, I think you should talk about it. I think this is really, really interesting. C.S. Lewis, is his whole basis for the existence of God actually goes back to children. And I'm interested in watching your kids grow up. You have four kids. Yeah. And he talks about how they have an inherent sense of justice and right and wrong before you kind of teach it to them. I wonder if you think that's true. Kind of like they have an idea of fairness. Like if you took yeah, a but toy you know, from I them. think yes, I think that. Um, but that being said, they also have to be taught right and wrong, right? Yeah, you know, it's like as a kid, uh, you know, a kid will you know only eat cake for every meal if possible. <laughs> that's not to say that adults don't too, but, right? You know, this notion that like that we have so much to learn from children, I think is ridiculous. <laughs> I think we have to, we have to, you know, they, you know, look, my daughters are very sweet and my sons, you know, one of them's three months old, but 
you know, it's like you have to help them. It's a, it's a huge responsibility. They don't know. Right. They don't know that like pointing at someone that's handicapped is Isn't, not polite. Right. You know, it's like, oh, it's, they're just being honest. No, they're being rude. That person's severely disabled. Right. right. Do you know what I mean? So it's like, what are a, they being honest? Yeah. It's like we could rationalize all of that. Yeah. That's a perfect example. And that's why I'm running for Senate. <laughs> Well, I, I, I will, uh, I'll let you go. I'd love to have you back on and talk yeah, about definitely. more weird things. But thank you so much for taking the time, Jim. Thank you. We say keep it crispy. Everybody says keep it crispy. Keep it crispy. <laughs> now leaving Nerdist.com.